0: The Apostle Paul starts our passage today in verse 9 with a prayer for the local church in Philippi that their love may abound more and more. So what is the love that Paul is describing here? Apart from Christ, the world defines love as An intense feeling of deep affection or a great interest and pleasure in something. A feeling of strong attraction and emotional attachment. Is this what Paul is praying for the church here, that their love would abound more and more? This morning, we're going to talk about what love means for those who are in Christ. The biblical definition of love is sacrificial, a love that gives first and expects nothing in return. Biblical love grants believers a peace that surpasses all understanding, which comes only from being in Christ. There are 684 scriptures reverencing love, I'm going to just share a few before I focus on expositing the verses in our reading for today. Perhaps most famous, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The one that uh, is often used in weddings, right? First Corinthians chapter 13, I'm not gonna read it all, I'm just gonna read verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And finally, love is the motivation for evangelism, for sharing Christ with the lost. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11, also verses 14 and 15. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who fear, who for their sake died and was raised. Let us pray. Father God, I just pray your spirit would guide the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that none of this would be my ideas. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just work in the hearts of all of those gathered here. And also for those who may listen to the sermon later. Father, may you be glorified in the preaching of your word. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So the main theme of our message today is rejoice and grow in Christ as you love one another and boldly proclaim Christ to all. Yep, the professor has to break it down into four points. So I've got four points for you today. Number one, only in Christ can we have abounding love for all. Number two, only in Christ can we be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Number three, only in Christ can we boldly share the gospel with the lost. And finally, number four, only in Christ can we maintain unity. We do a quick review of the first eight verses from my previous sermon, Philippians 1, uh, 1 through 8. I preached in Philippians. Again, the Apostle Paul starts his letter to the local church members at Philippi with a greeting and a prayer of thanksgiving for their partnership in the gospel. Paul then shares his deep affection in the fellowship they enjoy together in God's grace. Paul begins a model prayer focused on his gratitude for all believers and God's gracious work in human lives. He prays with joy for the needs of his friends and he gives thanks to God for the local church. Remember last time we introduced the word koinonia. This close friendship with other believers who share a common faith in the gospel. Today we continue with Paul's prayer for the believers that in Christ their love would abound and their holiness increase. Our first point today is As I reread verses 9 through 11, only in Christ can we have abounding love for all. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that you may may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. The first petition in Paul's prayer is that God would work in the hearts of the local church so that their love would abound more and more. He also emphasizes that this love would be accompanied by knowledge and all discernment in Christ. Let me translate that for you. He is praying that their love would find expression in wise actions that would benefit others and ultimately glorify God. Let's dive now more deeply into these precious verses. Verse 9, Paul starts his prayer with a petition to God that the love among fellow believers would continue to grow more and more. He emphasizes that this love includes the biblical truth of knowing God grounded in knowledge and discernment or depth of insight in Christ. This intimacy with God is only made possible through the gospel and received by faith alone. Paul is linking a better knowledge of God and his ways to greater love and harmony within the fellowship of believers. As we've discussed in some of my previous messages in Philippians, Paul makes his earnest prayer for unity and love in the local church, which can only be accomplished in Christ. I think Paul is so repetitive on this theme because we are often slow to learn the valuable lesson that the most effective way to bring about unity is first to pray for our own hearts and attitudes as well as to pray for the person or persons involved in a conflict and then seek to resolve the conflict in love. In verse 10, Paul continues with the twofold result of love and knowledge in Christ. Number one, to approve what is excellent or best. And number two, to become pure and blameless in the believer's Christ honoring behaviors and attitudes. All of this in preparation for the day when God will judge all of our secrets upon Jesus' return. Romans chapter 2, verse 16 says, On that day when according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The fulfillment of the apostle's prayer is that his friends will be able to live their lives in imitation of Christ. And friends, that's our prayer today. What a testimony it would be to those around us. Who do not know Christ for the believers at Riverside to have an even closer harmony together in the love of Christ. That our love for one another would grow and that we would all be involved in loving each other through discipling relationships and partnering in ministry together to reach the lost. I was so encouraged over the last couple of weeks as our brothers and sisters in Christ Chuck and Sue Applegate brought an appeal to the church about Dignity Harbor uh, Paul and, uh, uh, basically Chuck and Sue had to go up north to minister to the needs of his uh, older brother who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and the church rallied around that need and we had four, five people, six people, I think, uh, at the end, volunteer to not only support the ministry while Chuck and Sue are gone, but potentially to become long-term members of that ministry, which we needed desperately. So praise God for that. That's what Paul is talking about here. There is nothing better than growing together in our spiritual maturity as we encourage one another in love to obey the commands of Scripture and pursue what is excellent, pure, and blameless. As we grow in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, we will be increasingly able to affirm and practice what is excellent in Christ. Such joyful obedience to God will give us a confidence of being found pure and blameless when Jesus returns. As we move to verse 11, let me remind you of our second point this morning. Only in Christ can we be filled with the fruits of righteousness. In verse 11, Paul continues with his prayer that the believers in Philippi would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. This righteousness is a divinely produced righteousness only found by trusting in Christ. One of the Bible commentaries had a wonderful quote, salvation is the grace-filled life that bears the fruit of righteousness. Paul ends this section with a reminder that the primary incentive for living our lives filled with the fruit of righteousness is ultimately to give glory and praise to God. It is only by God's marvelous provision made for the unrighteous sinner in the gift and work of his son, Jesus, and the power of his spirit to produce such a harvest. We read in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul reminds the believers at Philippi, and friends, he is reminding us today that this fruit of righteousness is not produced in our own power. The fruit only comes through Jesus Christ, and that Christ-likeness in our lives will result in the glory and praise of God. Riverside, be ready for Christ's return. Live your lives filled with the fruit of righteousness in abounding love to all. So now we move to our third point today. Only in Christ can we boldly share the gospel with the lost. As Paul concludes his prayer, He now begins to reflect on his imprisonment in a Roman jail and how God used these very challenging circumstances to advance the gospel. His joy in difficult circumstances is meant to be an example for the local church members. Let's continue with our exposition for the next three verses, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the lord in by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear we see paul reminding the local church that his imprisonment in Rome served to advance the gospel. God used his imprisonment so that Paul could lead many unbelievers in Rome to know Christ. For those new to our Philippians sermon series, let me do a quick review regarding the circumstances of Paul's imprisonment. Remember, when Paul reached Jerusalem, he was forewarned by the Holy Spirit that imprisonment and afflictions were awaiting him there. Paul was the victim of false accusation from the Jewish leaders. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob and ended up in the Roman prison, having escaped a flogging only by pleading Roman citizenship. His whole entire case was a mockery of justice, and he was made the subject of unjust and unprovoked insult, shame, and malicious misrepresentation. Yet, what does Paul do? He looks back in that rearview mirror and he asserts that what happened to him really served to do what? To advance the gospel. In spite of all the dangers and restricted activity of a prisoner, Paul wants to encourage the local church that his actual imprisonment had resulted in a powerful witness for Christ. With the unbelievers in Rome, Paul was able to witness to the prison guards with whom he was actually chained. Imagine Paul over the two years of imprisonment he would have hundreds of opportunities to share the gospel with all the different soldiers from every shift to whose wrist he was chained. Paul's chains had actually served to remove barriers and give him access to many guards in the Roman army. Beyond the prison guards, commentators believe the all the rest in verse 13 refers to a wider circle of both believers uh, and non-believers who came to hear of his imprisonment and, the, uh, and his testimony in Christ. In verse 14, we see a secondary consequence of his captivity upon fellow believers referred to as most of the brothers. Paul's example served to encourage his brothers in the local church to give an even bolder testimony to the word of God. This boldness and fearlessness of his Christian family, especially in his captivity, is a further cause of joy to the imprisoned apostle. In verse 14, he is very instructive, uh, excuse me, verse 14 is very instructive on the subject of our testimony. Christians were stirred up to bolder and more effective gospel sharing with the lost. In Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 15, we read, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, In the world. Here we're reminded of the importance of an individual believer who can speak of their personal testimony. Friends, we are to be seen as lights in a very, very dark world, holding forth the word of life. Paul's teaching should remind us today about the nature of ministry and service. In the church to which we must make a priority. Paul's example shows us what can happen when one person is wholly given to the Lord. We each can become a catalyst for the whole church to be a people on fire for God. Just look what happened in Rome. Paul's suffering it turned out was a positive fruit of bearing activity that stimulated the church to gospel proclamation. In a book by J.A. Macher called uh, The Message of Philippians, there's a story shared of two Christian friends who were talking together. I know we all go through lots of trials in our life. This, This story spoke to me. These two Christian friends, one older and wiser, the other younger and passing through a severe time of testing. The older friend said with loving wisdom, no moment will ever again be like this. Let there be something for Jesus in it. It is not glorifying God if we dwell on our miseries nor if we let opportunities pass without a word about our Lord, nor if we think that any hand other than his brought us to this place. It is something for Jesus if we think and speak about him and his glory. It is something for Jesus if we acknowledge and trust his all sovereign will. my sermon uh, a couple of months ago i want to rewind to verse 6 no matter the circumstances you are facing for every believer he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ god is sovereign and he is in control of your life the pressures of the life of this life are in the hand of the potter Who is also our father. The fires of life are those of the refiner. He does not abandon the perfecting process. Nor is God ever knocked off course. By our own or others. Evil attitudes, motives or weaknesses. As we move to our final point this morning. Let's uh, go through the final three verses. The final point is only in Christ. Can we maintain unity? Verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. These verses require us to understand who Paul is referring to when he describes some who preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And there are all kinds of opinions on this. I'm gonna give you mine and, and also help you to see some of the other perspectives that are often shared. In verse 15, we learn that all was not rosy in the Philippian church. Paul observes that there were some in the church whose hearts seemed to be at war with their testimony. Who were these men who preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but with false motives? He's clearly not referring to unbelievers because they're preaching Christ. He's not referring to pagans. This is not blasphemy or heretics with false teaching. He's clearly referring to believers. However, these men did not like Paul personally, and they were anxious to see him remain in prison. They wanted to make his imprisonment as difficult as possible. Their envy and rivalry appeared to be directed at him personally. Their preaching of Christ was set against a background of selfish ambition and squabbling in the interest of their own agendas, and their aim was to stir up trouble while Paul was in prison, unable to defend himself. All of their plans were in vain, as Paul reminds the local church that no matter what, Christ is being proclaimed. And that is the all-sufficient cause for his rejoicing in the Lord. No other commentators describe these preachers as stirring up agitation by giving a political message. That kind of sounds like the 21st century, doesn't it? A lot of political messages coming from pulpits aimed at subverting Roman rule and or as a reprisal against the Jews. No matter their intent, Paul condemns these motives as wrong in that they only result in arousing friction among believers. Either way, they were Christian preachers, but divided internally from other Christians. Once again, their hearts were at war with their testimony. The contrast here is important. The other group of preachers Paul praises are those who were exercising their ministry out of motives of goodwill in verse 15 and love in verse 16. And in the awareness that the apostle was in prison for the defense of the gospel. The punchline. I love verse 18. As Paul surveys the divisions within the church, within the Christian community, which surround him, he is rejoicing in the one all-important fact, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. He reminds the believers that independent of motives, the content of their preaching is solid, which is in Christ. His purpose is to show how a Christian ought to behave when faced with a divided church. Divisions in the church remain very common in our day and certainly have been a part of the history at Riverside and many other churches. Friends, there's a lesson here. Paul knew nothing of personal jealousy or resentment. As long as Jesus was preached, he did not care who received the credit. He did not care what other believers said about him or how unfriendly they were to him. How they tried to outdo him. All that matters was Christ was preached. My friends, how often do we who claim to love Jesus and to share the gospel find opportunities to criticize fellow believers? If we're faithful to the gospel, we need to remain committed to declare a selfless, self-sacrificing reliance upon Christ's intent upon the eternal good of all whom he died to save. Have you ever considered how outsiders must view the church? Try to imagine an unbeliever going online and trying to make sense of all the different denominations and church splits and competitive advertising and the slander. Southern Baptist Convention has been in the headlines a lot lately. They're not not positive headlines. What a picture of God. What picture of God are we showing to the world? If the church is supposed to be a reflection of the image of God through Christ to those who are perishing, it's no wonder that people are not often attracted. Unity among believers, the healing of divisions has to be achieved in spite of of our own imperfect sanctification and often non-essential differences between true believers in Christ also from Paul Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 says it best I couldn't say it any better than this I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all." My brother in Christ uh, Sergio and I read this book by Francis Chan uh, several months back. The book is called Until Unity. Uh, Francis Chan is a pastor and church planner for over 30 years. He provides the following message and I quote. Church unity is not optional. Many Christians who want unity don't value theology or holiness. God commands all three. There must be a way to end the divisions that grieve the Holy Spirit without sacrificing truth or embracing sin. As the world grows more divided, his bride, the church, should increase in love until we attain the unity that brings revival." Believers, we need to pray that God would raise up an army of spirit-filled people from all Christ-centered denominations eager to fight for unity In humility, gentleness, and love. In our passage today, Paul is the great example. He lifted the conflicts beyond all personalities. All that matters was that Christ was preached. I hope you're encouraged today to make daily decisions according to what will proclaim and best advance the gospel. My friends, how often do we justify a course of action, or how often do we engage in activities without inviting Jesus into them? Let's keep Christ as the focus. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. I will close now with three applications, one for non-believers and two for believers. So, for my non Christian friends, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are like one of those unconverted Roman soldiers who is chained to Paul. You have a choice to respond to the message today or to stay in your chains of unbelief. Here at Riverside, we preach the gospel every time we gather. The gospel is the good news. Because of his love, God did not leave us in the chains of our sin. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He died on a cross, shed his blood to pay for the sins that separated us from God. If you repent or turn away from your sins, if you believe in Jesus and accept Jesus' free gift through faith alone, you will receive forgiveness and eternal life and you will be saved. If you want to learn more what it means to follow Christ, please come with someone who was on the stage today, an elder or worship team, we'd love to talk with you more. And for my Christian friends, two applications for believers. Number one, We need to follow Christ's example of loving and faithful service to God as we seek to make progress in our Christian lives. Paul is praying for the local church and reminding us that we need to be ready for Christ's return. We need to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We need to minister to each other. We need to reach the lost. Ask yourself, Look in that rearview mirror. What did I do in the last week or the last month or even the last year to advance his kingdom? What are you doing in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, and even here at Riverside to advance the gospel? We're about to kick off our fall ministries and we sure could use more folks to serve in Riverside Kids and Undone Youth and Dignity Harbor. Thank you for all of those who are serving. Luke ten two says, and Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And my final application before we move to communion, prayer is crucial for maintaining a joyful Christian life, no matter the circumstances. This should be a recurring theme. This was the same application in the last time I preached. Prayer, prayer is really, really important. Like Paul, are you in daily prayer for your brothers and sisters here at Riverside? That our love would abound for one another? And our holiness would increase. Please pray for each other. Pray for your elders, your deacons, our ministries, our missionaries. Pray for all the saints and like-minded churches throughout the world. And also, my friends, pray for unity among all believers. The main theme of our message today, rejoice and grow in Christ as you love one another and boldly proclaim Christ to all. As our worship team comes up and as we transition to our time of communion, let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord. Help us to have an abounding love for all. Lord, we ask that your spirit would fill us with the fruits of righteousness in Jesus. And loving Father, we ask that you would give us a boldness to share the gospel with so many lost and broken people in this world. Almighty God, we ask that you would bring about a Christ-centered unity at Riverside and among all believers. And we thank you, Lord, for this time of communion. Lord, this, this time we're we can share spiritual fellowship with one another as we remember both somberly and joyfully what you have done for us. It is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So we invite you to join us in this meal today if two things are true. first if you do have true fellowship with Jesus Christ, this means you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, having repented of your sin before God and having placed your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Second, if you have unhindered fellowship with God's people, meaning that you are a baptized member in good standing in any local church, Also, this means that you are at peace in your relationship with all other Christians, having done all in your power to promote love and reconciliation with them. A lot of what we were talking about today in terms of the unity of believers. If both of these are true, please join with us as we remember what Christ has done for us. If these things are not true, we ask Lord, we ask that you would just pass the plate by and just use that time for prayer. So we start with the bread. Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time as we can remember what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Lord, his painful sacrifice, Lord, the broken body, and Lord, our Savior Christ on the cross. The love that he showed to us by enduring the pain and beatings and ultimately the wrath that was meant for us. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to remember what you went through. Please bless this time as we reflect and praise you. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ask the men to come forward.